0: We're in Judges 6 up until the first part of chapter 7. I'll be reading the story part by part, making observations uh, as we go along, and then calling us to response and action as well. But before we start, let's take a minute and let's understand where the story of Gideon fits into the whole story of the Bible. Uh, If we are, are to rightly understand any part of Scripture, we need to understand how it connects to God's salvation plan for his people. So God chose Abraham and his descendants to be a special people through whom he would bless the world and through whom he would save the world. And then God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt And brought them into a promised land. And in that promised land, they were supposed to drive out the nations that lived there so that they would not be polluted by the godless and the wicked way of life of those nations. And while they did drive out some of those pagan nations who lived in that promised land, they did not complete the task. And the book of Judges picks up the story of the Israelites in the promised land. The book of Judges tells us of the story of Israel's downward spiral of rejecting God time and time again. And it shows the terrible path of humanity when we reject God. Now the judges are not like courtroom judges, Uh, uh, don't think of them like that, but rather they are people who were raised up by God to be military leaders of Israel for a short time to save them out of oppression from the enemy nations, and Gideon was one of those judges, and that's who we'll be focusing on today and next Friday as well. So let's begin. Uh, Point one on the context, this is Judges 6, verses 1 to 10. Uh, Just a heads up, we will be reading all of the text today, so uh, I will be reading large amounts of God's word in this sermon, and I encourage you to not tune out as we read, but read along with me as it's printed there in your bulletin. So Judges 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, craves, and strongholds. When the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Well, the first thing that we see here is that the evil deeds of the Israelites uh, did not go unnoticed by God. Because of their evil deeds, God sent the Midianites in order to oppress them. And the oppression of the Midianites was the discipline and the judgment of God on His people for the purpose of bringing them back to Himself. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Look in verse 6. It says that they cried out to the Lord for help. Well, what do we take from this? Well, we can't say that all hardship is a direct result of our sin. Uh, If we said that, that would be to have a, a, a very low view of the sacrifice of Christ. For those that trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord... Every punishment of sin has been wiped away by the blood of Christ on the cross. It's been paid for. But God does discipline His children for purification. And though we don't understand all the specific reasons for our hardships, believers take heart that God intends all of our hardships to strengthen our faith and our hope in Him. Brothers and sisters, your sufferings have purpose. They are meant to take you to Christ. They are meant to cause you to call out to God. So in your sufferings, call on Christ. He hears the cries of his children just as a mother knows the cries of her baby. So the Israelites called out to God for help, for, uh, to help uh, from God for the oppression of the Midianites. And now let's see how God responds. So let's pick up the story back in verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, He, said, uh, he, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I brought you up out of, the, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Uh, Brothers and sisters, friends, uh, God's word does not always confirm our actions. It often condemns our actions if they are against the will of God. And when God's word exposes sin, and when it exposes wrong directions in our life, we should listen. God's word exposes sin in our life for the purpose of healing us. Uh, I remember when I was a kid and I burned my hand terribly. And I wanted to grab it and just cover it up. But my mom took my hand and opened it and exposed that burn and that wound so that she could treat it and heal it. And so it is with God's Word and His Spirit. The Spirit of God exposes sin in our heart in order to heal us with the power of Christ. And we should remember this, that when God exposes our sins or the sins of our brothers and sisters, the purpose is for healing and restoration. Well, let's look again at the story now and we'll see God's call to Gideon as an answer to the Israelites' call for help. So look back now in verse 11. This is point to God calls Gideon. God calls Gideon. In verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the the, uh, uh, Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside and prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, and he brought them out and, uh, and, and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, "Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face." Well, in response to Israel to uh, to the prayer of the Israelites, an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and tells him. To save Israel out of the hand of the Midianites. And like Moses responded when God called him at the burning bush, Gideon responds with hesitation and doubt. Gideon asks for a sign to know if it really is the Lord that is speaking to him. And God grants that request. And the angel does a miraculous sign by causing the food that Gideon prepared to be consumed by fire. And this left no doubt in Gideon's mind that indeed it was the angel of the Lord that was speaking to him. From this part of the story, notice God's patience And notice God's mercy to confirm his presence with Gideon despite Gideon's doubt and his excuses. Gideon, like us, was slow to trust God's word. And we too give excuses as to why we cannot serve the Lord. But God, in his kindness, confirms his call in the life of his children. God reminds us of His presence with us. Brothers and sisters, our God is not too high. He is not too proud to stoop down low and to call His children to obedience. He is not too high to come down and remind us of His presence with us so that we can stand firm in the faith. Brothers and sisters, if you have questions About God's presence with you Despite how bad your situation may seem Look to his word To see the truth That he will never leave you Nor forsake you This promise will fuel our obedience to him Well let's now look at the next section This is point 3 In chapter 6 verses 25 to 32 Gideon cleans house Gideon cleans house That same night the Lord said to him Take the second bull from your father's herd The one seven years old Tear down your father's altar to Baal And cut down the Asherah pole beside it Then build a proper kind of altar To the Lord your God On the top of this height Using the wood of the Asherah pole That you cut down Offer the second bull as a burnt offering So Gideon took ten of his servants And did as the Lord told him But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Well, God has commanded Gideon to destroy the Asherah poles and the altars of Baal. That was uh, this command that God gave. uh, We should take note that this is not just some special revelation. It was God actually reminding Gideon what he should do because God already gave that word through the prophet Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 5, God gave the same command to Moses, the command to destroy the Asherah poles and the idols of false worship. Uh, these Asherah poles and these altars of Baal, these were physical objects that the people would praise and worship instead of worshiping the true God. And the Israelites' failure to obey God and to get rid of these idols opened the door for them to reject God. And that's what they had done. Friends, learn from this that we should take sin seriously. We should seek to kill it or it will take over much more than we ever wanted it to. And also notice in verse 25 that these evil idols were not just adopted by Israel in general, but they belonged to Gideon's very own father. In verse 27, we see that Gideon was afraid of his family. Uh, Because of the fear of his family, that is why he destroyed the altars at night and not during the day. Now, we could sit here and accuse Gideon of not being courageous enough to destroy the altars during the day. But take note that God did not tell him when he should destroy it, God did not tell him to do it by day. So, though Gideon was fearful of his family's response, the important thing is he still obeyed. He obeyed the word of the Lord. Well, now let's look back and let's see the reaction of his family and the townspeople to Gideon's obedience. So look down in verse 28. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded Joash, Bring out your son, he must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar." So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubel that day, saying, Let Baal contend with him. Gideon feared that his family would badly react when he destroyed his father's altars. But amazingly, it was Gideon's very own father who defended his son from the persecution of society. For, for several of our members and many people who are attending here and who are considering following Jesus, uh, the threat that their families would persecute or would shun them for their obedience to Jesus is real. Uh, if you're a member and you have not yet told your family about, uh, 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 about your decision to follow Christ, uh, hear me on this. Gideon obeyed even though his father uh, was was the very one who had built those those altars of Baal and though Gideon was afraid notice that it was God that changed the heart of his father Uh, brothers and sisters uh, you may think that you know how your family will respond when they hear about your faith but you do not know maybe God will convert your family as He converted you. Maybe your family too will respond and and, and maybe they will even defend you. Jesus leaves no room for His followers to be secret believers of Him. Uh, There's a line in our church covenant that expresses this and, 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 and it says that we should seek the salvation of our family, friends, and neighbors. So if you're considering of how to talk to your family about your faith, do not make that decision alone. I encourage you to please come talk to the elders about how you can do that in a wise way. And if you're a member and you're not in this situation, your family is happy that you're a believer, uh, let me speak to you. We must be ready... As a church family, to help our brothers and sisters who share Christ with their families that may persecute them. And if they, if they do face persecution, if they do face opposition, then we must be willing to be a family for them. We must help bear their burdens and sorrows. And we must encourage them to stand firm in Christ. And if you're not a Christian and you are considering the decision to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, but you're afraid of what your family or even what society will do when they find out about your faith, let me speak to you. First, you should know that we cannot assure you that you will not face difficulty. Uh, In fact, we can assure the opposite Uh, there will be suffering for becoming a Christian. But friend, hear me on this. It is worth it. Even if you're killed for your faith, it is worth it. This world is temporary and your earthly family is temporary. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And if you do not deny Him, then He will not deny you on the day of judgment. Well, let's move now to the next part of our story. This is point four, Gideon tests God. Chapter 6 verses 33 to 40. So remember that at the beginning of the chapter, God had called Gideon to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And now the time had come. The Midianites showed up in huge number, and they were there with other allied nations. And now Gideon gathers his army. But once again, Gideon Doubts God's word. So I'll pick up the story here in verse 36. Verse 36. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Uh, This story is one of the more popular stories in the Old Testament. And sometimes it is presented as a good example of how to know God's will. But let me be clear. This is not a good example. It's a bad example. We should not do what Gideon did. Uh, Look in verse 36. Um, Gideon basically says... Uh, God, I know that you promised to save Israel through me, but that's not enough. Uh, I need some more evidence. I need something more than what you already told me. And don't forget that when God first told Gideon uh, early in the chapter that he would use him to save Israel, God performed a miracle. He caused that, that meal that Gideon had made on the rock to be consumed with fire. And even further, Gideon's testing of God by asking for these signs, uh, it is in direct violation to God's word. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, uh, God clearly says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Gideon calling on God to give these signs, uh, this is not an example of great faith. It's the opposite It's an example of a lack of faith. When God speaks through His Word, His Word is worthy of our trust. And God's Word never fails. We don't need special signs and we do not need miracles to to confirm that we should obey His Word. So some people want to wrongly use this method of Gideon to make decisions. Uh, maybe you want to know if uh, you should take a certain job or if you should marry a certain person and so you ask God for a sign like Gideon. But the problem with this approach is that uh, God does not promise to answer in this way. Uh, this doubts God's care for you even when things are unclear. The normal the, the 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 normal biblical way of decision making is through wisdom and counsel. God's word is sufficient for this. That's what God's Word says in Second Timothy three, verses sixteen and seventeen. Second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen says all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice the last line there. It's that God's word is sufficient for equipping us for what? For every good work. That means that God's word is sufficient even for those works and, and, uh, uh, and those choices that are matters of judgment and that seem unclear. Brothers and sisters, do not forget also that God has given us each other. He's given us the family of the church to help us follow Christ in this world. So I encourage you to get advice from one another as you make decisions about matters of judgment. Don't make these decisions alone. Uh, a couple months ago, we finished up a teaching series in our Friday Foundation class. That's the class that starts at 2:45 each week, that or uh, uh, each Friday. That meets in the room right below here. Uh, we went through in great detail what biblical decision making looks like. So I don't want to repeat all that class here. But I want to use this time just to encourage you to set aside time to come to church early at 2.45 to be a part of those teachings and that prayer time. Well, let's look back at the story now in chapter 7. It's our last point, uh, point chapter 7, verses 1 to 8. It's the basis for boasting destroyed. The basis for boasting destroyed. Early in the morning, Jerubel, that is Gideon, And all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Mora. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. The Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps uh, from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and, and trumpets of the others. Uh, Gideon started with 32,000 men. And then God made him reduce the size of that army down to 300 men. And this seems like a really bad battle plan. So what, uh, what is going on here? Well, God wanted to make it abundantly clear that Israel was not going to save themselves by their own strength, but that God would save Israel by His own strength. And in the eyes of man, it appeared as if God was working against His his own cause. But God knew exactly what He was doing. God wanted to remove any possibility of boasting for the Israelites so that they would not rely on themselves for salvation, but that they would rely on God for salvation. And that is exactly what God has done for us in the cross. God has provided salvation in a way that removes our boasting. The cross shows us that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Mankind, all of us, are captured and oppressed by the enemy of sin. And this oppression is much worse than the oppression of the Midianites who were ravaging and destroying the people of Israel. And this oppression is evident. We cannot stop sinning. We cannot stop lying. We cannot stop acting and thinking in wicked ways. Even if we want to do what's right, we fail time and time again because our hearts are naturally opposed to God. And because God is holy and just, then we all deserve eternal punishment from God. But God is love. And in His love, He determined to save us by His strength. He sent His eternal Son, Jesus. And Jesus did what we cannot do. He perfectly obeyed the Father. Jesus did not deserve death because He was sinless. But in His love, He chose to change places with us and to take that punishment that we deserve. He gave His life as a sacrifice in place of us. And like God reducing the army of Gideon, the death of Christ seemed to undermine the work of salvation. But Christ's life, His death was by His own choice as a sacrifice. And God did the impossible. He raised Christ Jesus from the dead to to conquer sin and death once for all. The cross, it removes all pride. It removes all boasting in salvation because it says that you cannot save yourself. The cross destroys boasting. As it declares, the only way to be saved is not through you, but it's through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. If you're a non believer here today, I encourage you to humble yourself and stop trusting in your own strength and believe in Jesus to be saved from your sin. If you are a believer, remember that jesus is, is that jesus is full of love and he's full of the power of god to continue to sustain you away from your sin so i call you to trust in god to fulfill his word of deliverance by acting on his promises amen amen let's pray Our Father, Lord, You are a good and gracious God. Lord, though we doubt Your Word, Lord, though we have excuses, Lord, though we look at our circumstances and think, how could they ever change? Where are You? Lord, You are kind to call us to Yourself. You're kind to remind us that You are with us. Lord, we praise You that You have made the way of salvation open through Christ. Lord, we praise You that, uh, Lord, that we have nothing to boast about. For Lord, boasting in You, there is security and there is hope that our salvation cannot be taken away. For it's given by You. It's accomplished by You. It is secure in Christ. We give You praise for this. Lord, help us think, to, to think carefully about this Word and to apply it to our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.